Good morning, Plum Creek. I want to welcome all of you here today, especially if you happen to be new to our church. I'm really excited to dig into the Bible this morning. We're going to look at a fascinating story. But before we do that, I want to share something with you that I saw a few days ago. It was a challenge on the internet called Four Word Horror Stories. And the concept is simple you just have to tell some kind of scary story in just four words. Some of these were pretty good. Here's one. The spider got away. Those four words say a lot, don't they? Uh, First, there was a spider. Second, this person tried to eliminate the spider, but they failed, and now it could be anywhere. That's a scary story. Here's, Here's another one. Four words. We need to talk. Now, that's kind of different, also scary. Uh, when somebody says, we need to talk, something bad is coming, right? Uh, that person is probably not going to share a bunch of happy thoughts with you. All right, just one more, and this one is disturbing to me personally. Ran out of coffee. That's the worst one by far. And right here, I just need to say that I am so thankful for my wife. She makes sure that we always stay a step ahead of that horror story. At our house, we not only have coffee, we have backup coffee, and that's a good thing. So those stories are not very serious, but what if we did get serious? What if I asked you to share some forward horror stories that you've seen in your life or in your family? I'm sure many of you could talk about things that are a lot scarier than a coffee shortage or a spider on the loose. I thought of a few real-life examples. Everybody turned against me. Marriage is falling apart. Abused by a relative. The chemo isn't working. Some of us in this room have lived through stories like that. In fact, you may be in the middle of your own horror story right now. And when that's where you find yourself, it can be very difficult to hold on to your faith in God. You start asking, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you answering my prayers? This morning, we're going to address those kinds of questions as openly and honestly as possible. And I'll tell you up front, I won't give you easy answers today but I will point you to some very good news. We're continuing in our series called The Gospel, which is a journey through the life and the ministry of Jesus. And for four weeks, we're specifically looking at the topic of faith. God calls us to believe in Jesus and to trust in Jesus. That's what faith is. And last week, we saw that it is impossible to please God without a genuine faith. But what if you put your faith in Jesus and then suddenly your life takes a bad turn? How do you keep trusting Him? There was a man in the Bible who found himself in that exact situation. The man is John the Baptist, and we can find comfort and encouragement in his his story, even in the worst of times. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 11 and read about John. You can follow along with me in your Bible or up on the screen. Matthew 11, starting with verse 1, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, 
he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So we've just dropped down into a very dark time in John's life. For a while, things were going great for John. He, he was serving God. He was doing exactly what he was called to do. John had a ministry that drew big crowds. He was preaching fiery sermons and baptizing lots of people. And many of those people became his disciples. But all of a sudden, things go downhill very quickly. John gets on the bad side of a powerful ruler, and he's thrown in prison. If John wrote a four-word horror story of his own, it might sound something like this. In jail. Where's Jesus? You see, once upon a time, John was completely confident that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, that was the whole point of his ministry, pointing people to Jesus. But now, he's not so sure. According to one of the commentators I read, John's been in prison for about 10 months by this point. And I can picture John sitting in that jail cell all alone. I'm sure he spent a lot of time reflecting. And I'm sure he was confused because Jesus was not doing what John thought he would do. The, the Messiah was supposed to come and set things right. The Messiah was supposed to wipe out the enemies of God and establish a new kingdom. He was supposed to crush all injustice. But if Jesus is that Messiah... Why isn't, he, he, why isn't he doing something? Where is he? As the months go by, the situation doesn't get any better for John. Things actually get worse. It starts to look like John will never make it out of prison alive. He's hearing rumors about execution. And with all of that going on, John begins to ask a question that would have been unthinkable a year before. Is Jesus really the one or was it my imagination? And the next time his disciples come to visit, John asks them to go back and question Jesus. And I believe it's possible that John was sending a message to Jesus that may sound familiar to some of us. The message goes like this. I am struggling to believe in you and trust in you because I can't see why you would allow this. Now look at that statement right there. Those words are very relevant in our time. We've heard this before, haven't we? God, if you are so great and so loving and so powerful, why aren't you doing something about this? And this could be all kinds of things, right? It could be mass shootings or natural disasters or diseases without a cure. It could be evil people who do terrible things and then seem to get away with it. It could be the darkness that you're facing in your life right now. And the classic argument says that God is either loving or powerful, but he's not both. Because if God really was a God of love and he had the power to stop all suffering, he would do something. But since the world continues to suffer, either he can't stop it or he doesn't care. 
And, you know, sometimes we find it difficult to respond to accusations like that. But the Bible doesn't shy away from this issue at all. The story of John the Baptist is a perfect example. Because at one point, John had a very strong faith. But when Jesus didn't do what John thought he would do, his faith was seriously shaken. It's really pretty amazing that this story is in the Bible. Because this is John the Baptist we're talking about here. It is a complete shock that John is the one having doubts about the identity of Jesus. I mean, look at his background. John's mother was a woman named Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So that means John and Jesus were related, possibly cousins. And growing up, you can be sure that Elizabeth told John all about the miraculous birth of Jesus. So from a young age, John had a pretty good idea who Jesus was. Beyond that, though, it was very clear that God had ordained John for a very special purpose. John was sent as a prophet to pave the way for Jesus, and he stepped into that role with confidence. For example, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not much confusion there, right? And then there was the day when Jesus came to John and said, I want you to baptize me. And John was like, no way, you should be the one baptizing me. But Jesus insisted, so John went ahead with the baptism. And what happened next? The Spirit of God came down like a dove and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John literally heard the voice of God speak from the sky and say, yep, that is my son. He is the one. How do you forget that? How how could you ever doubt the identity of Jesus after that? Well, that's the funny thing about faith. Last week, we read a definition of faith from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. That verse says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So by definition, faith is believing and trusting in something that hasn't quite been proven yet. There may be evidence to point you in a certain direction, but the evidence won't get you all the way there. There's always a gap. That's why it's called a leap of faith. Now, we might say that John had all kinds of evidence, more than enough to jump over that gap. We, we could say, John, of all people, how could you start doubting Jesus? But the reality is, we also have plenty of evidence to believe in Jesus today. Look at the long list of prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. Look at the disciples after the resurrection. Those disciples said, no, I will not deny that Jesus rose from the dead. You can kill me, but I won't deny it. If that was a lie or a hoax, I don't think they'd be willing to die. Many of them did. Possibly the best evidence would be the people all around us whose lives have been completely transformed after becoming a follower of Jesus. There are so many good reasons to believe, but when hard times come, Doubts and questions can make their way into that gap. Like John, we can start to think, 
Maybe I was wrong. Maybe Jesus isn't who I thought he was. Maybe I can't trust him like I thought I could. In fact, some of us may go so far as to say, maybe this whole Jesus thing is made up. Maybe it's just a joke. I realize it may seem a little strange to talk like that in church, but that's one of the things I appreciate about this story in Matthew chapter 11. There is no attempt to hide the fact that John is questioning Jesus. It's right there for all of us to see. And I believe that's intentional. I believe God wanted this story to be in the Bible because he's giving us a deeper understanding of our doubts and our questions. Think about it. Why is it that we struggle with doubt? Is it because we've taken a scientific approach and we looked at all the evidence and then we decided that there's not enough proof to believe in Jesus? In most cases, that's not it at all. Our questions often come from unmet expectations. That was definitely the case with John. Go back and look at his sermons. Back in Matthew chapter 3, John preached about a Messiah who would bring wrath and judgment to wicked people. John said, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's an image of a powerful Messiah, somebody you don't want to mess with. He's going to show up and start cleaning house. And there's a way in which that image is very accurate. But when it came to Jesus, there were lots of things that John the Baptist found quite surprising. For example, Jesus didn't spend a lot of time fasting the way John did. In fact, he's out there going to parties. He's hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. His ministry was very unlike John's. But then there's also the more personal question. Why had Jesus done nothing to set John free? A long time before this, Jesus preached his first sermon in the town of Nazareth. In that sermon, Jesus took out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah And Jesus read these words from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After reading those words, Jesus turned to the crowd and he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is about me. I am the Messiah. But imagine how John would interpret that. I could see him thinking, okay, Jesus, you, claim, you came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, so why am I still in prison? And you came to set the oppressed free, so why am I still being oppressed? And it's true, John was being oppressed. He was treated very unfairly. Some of you know what happened. John spoke out against a ruler named Herod. John said that Herod had broken God's law because he married a woman who used to be his brother's wife. Of course, Herod was not happy about John calling him out like that, so he threw him in jail. Later on, at Herod's order, John is beheaded. So you can't really blame John for having some questions, right? 
This wasn't how he thought the story would go. His expectations were not being met. But John shows us how to respond to our doubts in a healthy way. John sends his disciples to Jesus with a direct question. Are you or are you not the one? This is a very good example for us today. John shows us that we can take our questions directly to God. Actually, we see this all over the Bible. The writers of the Psalms questioned God. Prophets like Jeremiah and Habakkuk questioned God. And here, John the Baptist is questioning too. But did you notice how Jesus responds to John? He answers by reminding him of the truth. Jesus says, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is very clearly saying, John, there is no need to doubt. I am the one who's fulfilling those old prophecies. You don't need to look for someone else. And you knew this was true when you were out in the desert preaching in the light of day, but it's just as true now while you sit in that dark prison cell. Wow, that is so helpful for us to remember. A Christian writer named Raymond Edmond said, don't doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. And that's great advice, but you know what? We're still human And when we go through a difficult time, doubts and questions come very naturally. And that's why I'm glad that Jesus doesn't slam John for asking this question. He doesn't say, John, are you kidding me? Do you not remember when the Father spoke from heaven at my baptism? What is wrong with you? He doesn't do that at all. Jesus doesn't criticize John for doubting, but he does challenge him. He says, Look again at the evidence, John. It's there. I am the Messiah. You can still trust me. Now, when Jesus sent this message to John, there was a crowd of people listening in. And just to make sure they don't get the wrong impression, like maybe Jesus is looking down on John, he says to the crowd, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth about this man. And he explains that John wasn't just a great prophet. He was more than a prophet. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Listen to this. He goes on to say, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has never risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So what does that mean? It means aside from Jesus himself, there was no greater person in the world than John the Baptist. So you can see why this story is so encouraging, right? If John the Baptist wrestled with doubt, It's okay for us to wrestle with doubt. If you're struggling with questions right now, Jesus is not looking down on you. He's not abandoning you. He just wants you to bring those questions straight to him. He can handle it. And when you do that, he will remind you of the truth. He'll remind you of his love. He'll remind you that he really is who the Bible says he is. You see, when we deal with our questions in a healthy way, Doubt is an opportunity to choose faith. So in the rest of our time together, let's take advantage of this opportunity to choose faith. Let's follow John's example. You know, the question he asked is the main question that we need to ask. Is Jesus the Messiah? 
If you can answer that question with confidence and say, yes, I know that Jesus is the Messiah, then literally everything else falls into place. That doesn't mean that you get all the answers. There are some questions that won't be answered until we get to heaven. The point is, if Jesus is the Messiah, we can be at peace. We can hold on to the promise that everything will be made right in the end. Here's the hard part, though. How do we get to that place of confidence? How can we be absolutely sure that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, it goes back to that leap of faith. You stand at the edge of that gap. You consider the evidence. You look at God's faithfulness in the past and his promises for the future. And then you take the leap. You make the decision to believe in Jesus and to trust in Jesus. You put your whole life in his hands. And once you've done that, you learn by experience that Jesus is for real. God is faithful. He is both all-powerful and all-loving. And he will provide you with exactly what you need to deal with whatever you're facing right now. You see, the truth is, there is a lot about Jesus that you just can't know until you take that leap. And I wish I could say that you take that leap just one time and then you're done. But that's not how it works. Our doubts can take us right back to the edge of that gap over and over again. And that's when we have to learn by experience one more time that Jesus really is the Messiah. So before we wrap this up, I want us to walk out of here a little more prepared for the next time we struggle with doubts and questions. I want to leave you with four truths that can help you through some of the tough seasons of life. Here's the first one. If Jesus is the Messiah, we can expect him to defy our expectations. Remember, John the Baptist had misconceptions about Jesus, so you know that we have misconceptions too. We all have a picture of Jesus in our minds, and no matter who you are, that picture doesn't quite match up to who he really is. We should expect to be surprised by Jesus. Let's go back to Matthew 11 and look at verse 6. And this is where Jesus is sending his response back to John. And he says this, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So what's he talking about there? Well, it's kind of interesting. The word stumble is translated from the Greek word skandalizo. Now, what does that sound like? Sounds like scandalized doesn't it? Blessed is anyone who is not scandalized on account of me. Some translations say, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. But why would Jesus say that? Well, again, it's because of those unmet expectations. We expect Jesus to be a certain way, and then we find out he's different than who we imagined him to be, and we don't always like that. When I was very young, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. That show ended a long time ago, but it's kind of cool to see that Mr. Rogers has made quite a comeback. Uh, There's a movie now with Tom Hanks playing the part of Mr. Rogers, and he just got an Oscar nomination for that. So why is Mr. Rogers so popular right now? Well, for one thing, he was nice. Really, really nice. He was known for saying things like, I like you just the way you are. He was very affirming. 
And our world today is hungry for that kind of acceptance. But the truth is, some people have a picture of Jesus that looks a lot like Mr. Rogers. Uh, Kind of a cozy, sweater-wearing Jesus who will always affirm you, no matter what. But if that's how we think, we haven't yet met the real Jesus. Does Jesus like you just the way you are? Absolutely. He loves you, no matter who you are or what you've done. However, he won't stop there. He loves you too much to leave you where you are. He will challenge you. He'll show you where you need to change. He'll confront you wherever you're not in line with God's will. And when that happens, we may feel offended, scandalized even. We might not like it. But what does Jesus say? Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So be ready. How does your view of Jesus need to change We all need to meet the real Jesus, not some fake version from our imagination. So expect him to defy your expectations. That's the first truth to remember. Here's the next one. If Jesus is the Messiah, he knows what it's like to experience unfair suffering. John the Baptist was thrown into prison for doing the right thing. That can happen to us, too. Sometimes our pain is genuinely unfair. Sometimes we did nothing to cause our suffering. But Jesus knows exactly what that's like. He was nailed to a cross and executed, despite the fact that he did absolutely nothing wrong. All of us have sinned in one way or another. But Jesus never sinned, not even once. And because he was perfect, you might think that Jesus didn't struggle with the unfairness of his death. But do you remember? Jesus actually had a hard question of his own. In Matthew 27, verse 46, Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't that amazing? Jesus himself asked the why question. He said, Father, where are you? Why have you left me? I find a lot of comfort in that. If Jesus asked the why question, it's okay for us to go to God and ask why. And you know, when Jesus died, I'm sure his disciples were also asking why. The crucifixion was the most unfair thing that ever happened in all of history. So you wouldn't blame the disciples for saying, God, Why did you allow this to happen? How could this possibly be a part of your plan? But what they couldn't see was this. The most horrific and unfair event in human history was actually the most loving and beautiful event in all of human history. Jesus went to the cross by choice to pay the penalty for the sins of the world, for your sins, for my sins, so that you and I would have the chance to be forgiven. And it wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead that his disciples started to understand. And that leads us to another truth. If Jesus is the Messiah, his pain had a purpose, and so does ours. Now, don't misunderstand this. I'm not saying that God has directly caused all of our pain. This world has suffering because this world has been broken by sin and by death. 
So no, God has not caused all of our pain, but at the same time, he can always use our pain for a greater purpose. There are times where it's in your suffering that God gets your attention and makes you aware of your need for him. There are times when he will use your suffering as a tool to relate to others and to bring them comfort. Now, in the moment, you may not see a purpose for your suffering. You may not see how anything good could come from it. But when you look at Jesus, when you look at the way he suffered and died on the cross, you can be sure that the reason for your pain is not that God has stopped loving you. He hasn't forgotten you. He is still working to bring your story to the best possible ending. And sometimes that's exactly the truth that we need to hold on to. If Jesus is the Messiah, God has a plan in place to eliminate suffering and injustice. Yes, this world is broken, but Jesus has promised that he's not going to leave things that way. In the book of Revelation, he says, I am making everything new. He's going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth where all pain and suffering and death will be forgotten. He wants you and me to be a part of that, but that will only happen if you are in Christ. And the only way to be in Christ is to come to him in faith and give your life to him. And then as you go through this life, you keep making that decision to continue to believe in him and continue to trust in him. That's exactly what you and I should do. But sometimes that's easier said than done. Sometimes your reality tries to trump your belief. Here's what I mean by that. This week, I heard a true story about a boy who was adopted by loving parents. But he came from a very rough background. His biological parents were habitual liars. They were incredibly selfish, and they constantly broke their promises to him. So once this boy was adopted, his new father dropped him off at school and said, as soon as school's over, I'll be right here to pick you up. But the boy was very anxious and scared. He, he, he just couldn't trust that his dad would be there because he was used to broken promises. See, sometimes your reality trumps your belief. But over a period of days and then weeks and then months, the boy finally learned by experience that his adopted father kept his promises. Finally, there came a day when he was able to trust again. We're all kind of like that boy, aren't we? We need to experience the love and the power of Jesus firsthand. We need to be reminded that we can trust him. He is the one we've been looking for. Now, you can go to God directly, and he will remind you of the truth. But you also need that reminder from other people. You need strong relationships with brothers and sisters who will walk beside you no matter what you're going through. You need someone who will keep pointing you to Jesus. But if you don't have relationships like that, how do you find them? Well, at some point you do have to take the initiative. But here at our church, we try to provide lots of opportunities to build those relationships. In fact, we have two great opportunities coming up soon. One is specifically for women. It's called the If Gathering. And it's happening right here, February 7th and 8th, Friday night and Saturday. And the purpose of this event is for women to come together and focus on Jesus. 
It's a place to connect with each other and encourage each other. The other opportunity is specifically for men. It's the Beast Feast coming up on February 1st. It's also right here. We've been talking about this for weeks, but I want to I explain why this event is important. Yes, it is a night for guys to come together and have a good time. And yes, there will be a chance to shoot some guns and throw some axes. And yes, we will be trying lots of different kinds of meat like deer and elk and frog legs, rabbit, turtle, mule deer, and who knows what else. But the Beast Feast is not just about having a good time. We're going to hear a great message that points us to Jesus, but it goes beyond even that. Before the night is over, we're going to talk about a new Bible study just for guys where you can build the kind of relationships that I've been talking about. If you know a guy who may be a little hesitant to come to church on a Sunday morning, this Bible study could be the perfect first step, and you can start by inviting that person to the Beast Feast. If you haven't done it yet, I hope you'll go to plumcreek.org slash beastfeast, get yourself signed up, and get that friend signed up. We all need a group like those friends of John the Baptist. His friends came back to that jail cell, and they said, we've talked to Jesus. We've heard it and seen it for ourselves. He is the one. You can trust him. So don't let yourself be isolated. Surround yourself with people who will walk with you through the darkness. And above all, continue to put your faith in Jesus. He's the one who will get you through those times of questions and doubts. Take that leap of faith for the first time or for the 100th time. And then, like we read in Psalm 34, that's when you will taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are not alone in our pain. You see our suffering. You do care. You have the power to do something about it, and you will. Lord, help us to remember, understand, believe, and trust that you are faithful. You are good. Lord, help us to take that leap of faith. When we go through those struggles, I pray that we'll get that reminder from you and from others around us. Lord, I pray for anyone here who may be there right now. I pray that they will hear your voice, that you will make it clear that they can trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week here, We want to make sure we give an opportunity for anyone who may need to take that leap of faith for the first time. If you're ready to put your belief and your trust in Jesus, if you're ready to confess him as your Lord and Savior, to accept this gift of grace, forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, if you're ready to turn away from your old sinful life, be baptized into Christ and live a new life, you can do that today. As soon as the service is over, I'm going to be down at the front of the stage. Prayer team will be down there as well. I invite you to come. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, walk with you as you take a step toward Jesus. Let's stand and sing.